0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We're going to have a little bit of a different episode for you guys today. (laughs) More specifically, we're going to have a mock draft breakdown. Now, usually I don't find mock drafts to be Uh, The most helpful exercises, I think that they are really useful to kind of give maybe a a casual fan who does not necessarily know all of the players who are going to be mostly in the first round, because that's where most mock drafts really focus a lot of their efforts and attention. And after going through this exercise, I understand why Um, something that I always do around draft season is really dive into a lot of these prospects, try to watch um, as much tape as I can. But really, that only boils down to like three or four compiled YouTube um, game, uh, <laughs> game scripts against other teams um, for various players. And it's not the year-long work that all of these scouting departments are doing. So take everything that I say with a grain of salt. But also you should take everything that everybody says outside of your Daniel Jeremiah's, your Mel Kuypers, um, those types of guys, Todd McShay. Everybody who does this for a living, yeah, you can trust them. But they are also part of this whole thing. They they understand. They're talking to people. They kind of have a better lay of the land, I think, than they give out to the public because they do also still have some responsibility to these teams um, and, and trying to get the information that they get. They protect some other information. Um, and that's all very useful. But I do think mock drafts kind of can give fans the wrong impression of the way that things are supposed to play out. And it's why sometimes you'll see teams and and the fan bases more specifically react negatively to what ultimately could be a good pick. But it's because they've seen 25 mock drafts over the last three months or so where X player was supposed to go four or five picks behind where they actually ended up going. And so, therefore, a lot of fans sit there and say, well, that was a bad pick because we drafted him too early. We reached when really we're not going to know the answer to that question for probably like three or four years. Um, And then at that point, we can determine whether or not it was a reach. I remember Chris Lindstrom, when he was picked, a lot of people said it's a little bit early to take a guard. Now, in hindsight, I think we're all really happy to have Chris Lindstrom on this Atlanta Falcons team. So that's going to be kind of today's episode is I went and did a mock draft of my own seven round mock draft um, on Pro Football Focus's website. You can do it um, there as well yourself. and. I didn't do any trades. I didn't do anything like that because I really just want to use this as an exercise to see who was going to be available for the Falcons at each pick. And then who among those guys did I like and try to build a draft that way to see, okay, well, this is the range where I think these guys are going to go. Oh, wait, I I went with this position and now there's kind of still really a big hole over here. um, And maybe the solutions aren't as enticing later on in the draft to, to do that. So We're all going to kind of go through this together. Um, That's going to be the bulk of the podcast um, today. We're finally here. The top teams in college basketball have been determined and the Final Four is set. So are you looking to wager on these Final Four games? Or, you know, if you're going to do that, why not go all the way and wager on the National Championship too? And if you're going to, head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device and sign up today. When you sign up, you'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. To get that bonus, just use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all updated odds and info, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best spot for all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today and learn why everyone is saying Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Before we begin, though, I do sticking with the mock draft. <laughs> um, I was asked to come on the um, Pro Football Focuses NFL Stock Exchange podcast with Trevor Sicoma and Connor Rogers during that mock draft, which they're, it's a really cool, um, interesting idea where they're basically having people who cover each team kind of go down the order of the draft and make their picks. Um, I selected Jordan Davis for the Falcons, and I stand by that pick. I think that, you know, for a lot of reasons, he is uh, a very rare type of NFL talent. I think we've seen players like him be the centerpieces, not necessarily the centerpiece, but the interior piece, you know, for for I guess a better way to phrase that. The center point of a defense um, on the the front seven and we've seen teams that utilize players like Jordan Davis have a lot of success. I think specifically about kind of the Vince Wilfork days in New England, Helodi Nada with the Ravens, uh, Casey Hampton with the Steelers. I mean, these types of three, four defenses that have just insanely large defensive nose tackles right there in the middle of it. Um, but guys who can also move and guys who really give offenses fits in, in a variety of ways. Now, I know Jordan Davis is not there as a pass rusher yet, but he's also coming out of college. And I think that he's going to develop in that area. I think he's got a lot of unique traits to be a pretty decent pass rusher, you know, at least for a nose tackle. Now, I'm not expecting him to be a double digit sack guy. I think that's insane. But if you can get three or four a year in addition to being an elite run defender, man, we got some cooking on the defense like that. That's something that you can build around. So that was part of the reason. Why I went with Jordan Davis. Um, you know, some other reasons were a lot of the guys that I did like were already off the board. Kyle um, Hamilton, already off the board. Uh, Trayvon Walker, already off the board. So some of the guys that I would have considered maybe ahead of Jordan Davis weren't there. Now, wide receiver was something that Trevor and I talked a lot about on this podcast because it makes a lot of sense, right? You know, the Falcons have arguably the worst receiver group um, in the NFL, and it may be by a wide margin at this point. I just, you know, I just have seen the amount of talent come into the league at wide receiver of the last few years. And I know the Falcons have not been able to find it so far in free agency. Not that they can't find it, but they can't really afford to go get the, the number one type of guy. So it makes a lot of sense that you would then bolster that in the mock drafts. And spoiler alert, uh, maybe maybe we'll see my tone change a little bit in the first round, but I just, I still think you can't pass up a player of Jordan Davis's immense talent and ability. And I saw the impact that he had for the Georgia defense, which was the best in college football by a large margin this last year. And they won a national championship pretty much because of their defense. And Jordan Davis really was the anchor for that unit. He allowed players like N'Kobe Dean to just play off of him, run to the ball unimpeded. And I think the Falcons could really use somebody like that. So, Yes, I understand all of the arguments to go receiver. There's just not a, a generational talent re- at receiver in this class. It, like, that's my belief. Could Garrett Wilson turn into, you know, a, a really interesting player, a Terry McLaurin type of player? Sure. Could Chris Olave turn into a Justin Jefferson? Sure. But I I just think that, that Jordan Davis from day one plugs in, immediately improves one area of your game with the ability to maybe uh, improve His game as a pass rusher. And if that happens, you know, then I think we're all sitting here looking at this guy as a top 10 pick for sure. If he had, you know, slightly better pass rushing numbers, I really think that instead of being in that 15 to 20 range where a lot of mock drafts kind of have him, he is in that 8 to 12 range, which is exactly where the Falcons are. And so I felt comfortable taking that pick. I understand if a lot of people are kind of like, well, why on earth would we take, you know, a a massive defensive tackle who is considered more of a run defender at this point than a pass rusher? that's fine. I I think the Falcons are a couple of years away. Stockpile these guys who are elite in some areas, even if they're not elite in the way that you would like them to be elite. The Falcons need to get better in a lot of ways. Uh, And Jordan Davis at least makes them better from the jump in one part of the game, the run game. And I think that the NFL is cyclical. I think we're going to start seeing the run game become a much more important part of NFL offenses because of the way that we've seen defenses kind of switch to take away the Patrick Mahomes type of favorite throw, which is these deep backbreaking explosive plays with the cover two. do things like that. Putting Jordan Davis in your defense allows you to play a lot more of those styles because you don't necessarily have to dedicate more guys to the box. You can kind of do that with your massive nose tackle in the middle there. Um, So I I think it makes sense for a lot of different ways, but mostly because the Falcons aren't trying to win in 2022. Figure out how you're going to build this team, but while doing so, just add some pieces that are unlike any other in the NFL. And that's why I went with Jordan Davis for my pick at number eight for the Atlanta Falcons on the PFF NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Uh, if you would like to hear more about my uh, thought process, I would encourage you to go listen to that podcast. Let me know what you think. Um, but first, stay tuned and listen to the rest of this podcast because I'm going to walk through my seven round of mock draft, which I did on Pro Football Focus, and we will get to that right now. All right, let's get drafting. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I went through Pro Football Focus's mock draft tool. No trades. I'm not trying to win this fake draft. That's not what this is about. Instead, I just wanted to get a sense of where the Falcons' needs would line up with the availability of the players in this draft at each round. In some instances, you know, I, I went with maybe what I would do as opposed to what the team would do in others. I tried to maybe make it a little bit more interesting, but always in the betterment of the Atlanta Falcons. Right. You know, I, I will have explanations for every single one of these picks. I will be able to, you know, let you know why I felt that this would be the right decision. And it's not always for 2022, because as I said, I really think a lot of what the Falcons are doing this offseason season. 2023, 2024, baby. You know, like that's where I think the Falcons really kind of have their sights set. And yes, a lot of that has to do with with the Matt Ryan situation, him no longer being here. Marcus Mariota, sure, your mileage may vary, but I, I think he's at least going to be interesting uh, in the short term. And, and we'll see what they can do. There's obviously familiarity there, so you know, that's that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And that's why I think the Falcons are building a little bit more through this draft as opposed to drafting for immediate help in 2022. One other side note, and this is more of a, of a, just a personal revelation as I was going back and re-listening to that pro football focus podcast, I had a little bit of a, of a identity crisis, I guess. Um, I'm incredibly long windy and, uh, I, I apologize for all of you, um, over the years for, uh, maybe being a little bit more verbose than I need to be. So, I'm going to try something new today, and I'm going to try to keep everything concise. I'm going to try to get in, get out, make my points, and let's keep this thing moving because, after all, we do have a buttload of draft picks to get through. That's enough of a preamble. Let's get to it. The Falcons are now on the clock at number eight in the first round. Here's a little bit of a rundown of some of the players who have already gone off the board. Number one pick, Aiden Hutchinson. I think that's uh, not a surprise to anybody. Kavan Thibodeau goes number two. A lot of people, you know, now mock drafts have been, he's been falling. You know, he's been potentially there at number eight for the Falcons. So that kind of hurts for him to be off the board because I think he would be a strong candidate at number eight for Atlanta because of the upside he brings as a pass rusher. There is a clear need there for Atlanta. So kind of hurts to see him go off the board at number two. Something else that really hurts, Kyle Hamilton off the board at number three. Derek Stingley, off the board at number four. Ahmad Gardner, off the board at number five. Trayvon Walker, off the board at number six. So picks two through six decidedly did not go in Atlanta's favor. And it was very similar with the pro football focus draft, which is why I went kind of Jordan Davis at number eight. You still bolster the defensive line, um, but you get really a game-changing type of interior player. I did not do that this time just for the sake of you know, content really just to just to have somebody different to talk about. The player I did go with at number eight, USC wide receiver Drake London. Now, I've been digging into a lot of the receivers in this class: Garrett Wilson, um, Chris Alave, Jameson Williams. Those are the guys that I really consider kind of the the top four. I like Traylon Burks a lot, as I mentioned on the Pro Football Fo- Podcast. I I just felt that with Cordero Patterson coming back there's a little bit of an overlap in the skill sets there and if they had decided to, to move on from Cordero Patterson I think Burks would have been an amazing fit uh, for this team and he may still be they they may still like him I think eight's a little bit high for his skill set so I went with Drake London really really physically impressive uh player six five body frame uh similar to Mike Evans he is a good run after the catch player was dominant this past year for USC before he um, ended the year with, I believe, an ankle injury. You know that that injury will maybe be a question, but I, I think it happened way early enough. It shouldn't be a factor for him as a rookie. He's he's dynamic. You know he's he's not the speed guy that somebody like Garrett Wilson or certainly Jameson Williams is, but he can be effective downfield. He's going to win a lot of contested catches. He's a good blocker, I think, and. He's also a factor in screens, um, which it's weird. He's smooth. He's not like a quick twitch athlete in space, but he just knows how to read read his blocks well. He'll run over players. So I like the skill set that he brings as just kind of an all around X receiver in the NFL. If the Falcons decide to get younger at the quarterback position sometime in the near future, who knows, perhaps in this draft. I like the catch radius that Drake London um, presents early on for a player who may not be as accurate as Matt Ryan always was. Um, So that's my reasoning for taking Drake London at number eight. High upside player, I think, but also a really high floor and fits a clear need uh, for Atlanta here now in a prototypical fashion as your ex-receiver. So, you know, I think there's a lot to like about this pick. Some of the players who were still on the board who I debated Evan Neal and Charles Cross, uh, two really, really good tackles. Evan Neal, I was very enticing because I think you could pick him and plug him in there at right tackle. I'm not ready to give up on Caleb McGarry, though, and I know I've mentioned that several times on this podcast. I, he's not a solution, but he's not the problem, and the Falcons have so many problems that I I just think they need to focus elsewhere. Um, so that's kind of why I avoided those two tackles, and then you've got Garrett Wilson, who I mentioned I just think Drake London fits the physical nature that they want at receiver um, in Atlanta, which is kind of why I give them the slight edge Now, have two edge rushers who I did dis, uh, debate briefly on Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis. I like Jermaine Johnson a little bit more than Karloftis H just a kind of high for my liking there. Um, I, I view both of those guys more in kind of like the late teens, twenties range. I'm very excited to be able to get Drake London here at wide receiver. That's my pick at number eight. Apologies, everybody, for some technical issues there. The microphone situation has now been fixed. Uh, should be much clearer audio for everybody for the remainder of this mock draft. Um, let's keep going in the second round at pick number 43. This one obviously is, is going to be really, really interesting for the Falcons because it a lot of it, I think, is determined by where they go with that number eight overall pick. If they go offense, then I, I think you're going to see them maybe go defense heavy on day Day two, if they go defense, then this could be a really good spot for them to maybe pick up some wide receivers. For instance, Sky Moore, who I really like in this class as wide receiver, was on the board for this pick. But because I went with Drake London at number eight, I ultimately decided to go in a different direction. Um, So the player that I selected at number 43 for the Falcons is Oklahoma edge defender Nick Benito. He's. Not the most well-rounded, I guess, edge defender in this class, but he is a really good pass rusher. Uh, Pro Football Focus had a note on him where he has been the most productive pass rusher on a per-snap basis over the last two seasons. So, you know, he's really, really talented in that area. He's smaller. He's going to be able to kind of be pushed off the line, especially kind of against the run. But... In obvious passing situations, even in non-obvious passing situations, I think you can move him around all over the formation. I think that you're going to really kind of be able to use him almost as a joker in this defense to give them a lot of different looks as a pass rush, bring him on blitzes, line him up just, you know, a normal wide nine, seven technique, let him go, let him get around the edge. He reminds me a little bit and don't go get carried away with this kind of Micah Parsons ish where he can, at that kind of second level of the defense, maybe just plug in wherever you want him on a front and get after the quarterback. So I think that the upside is there to maybe round out his game. But from day one, you should be able to kind of like let him loose for this pass rush um, and go after the quarterback. So I think that even though he may not be the well-rounded pass rushing edge uh, that you might get in the first round of this draft, I like the value here because you are still addressing a key need for this defense and you're doing it with a yes, a specialized player, but a player specialized for that exact need. And so I'm, I'm happy getting somebody like Nick Benito in the second round because you know, you, you are really trying to bolster what um, is a clear weakness for this team. Uh, and you're, you're getting, I think, decent value here. So the next pick, the second, second round pick that the Falcons have, which is pick number 58. This is a player that I really debated actually taking at number 43. And so I was really excited to see him still on the board at 58. And that is Baylor safety. But but I'm drafting him to be a a developmental slot player. And that is Jalen Petrie. Um, He watching his film reminds me a lot of uh, Tyron Matthew, the honey badger. He kind of he just runs around the field with his hair on fire. And the reason I like him in that slot position, because that was where I think he was most effective at Baylor and came off the edge a lot in that slot, just coming on these blitzes after the quarterback. If the play is across the field, he's going to run through traffic to get there. Um, You know, he almost takes it personally that, that people are kind of trying to stop him from making plays. He's undersized. It's going to be, you know, a little bit of an adjustment, I think, at the next level for him, but it's an adjustment at the next level for everybody. And I like the effort. I really like the attitude. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Kevin Knight at the Falcolic a little bit earlier about him. He stood out at the senior bowl. Um, so that's something that I think a lot of NFL teams really like to see that who among these guys invited here separate themselves. Jalen did that. I think I could see Dean Pease loving this guy, the way that he likes to send pressure from everywhere, disguise it. Jalen Petrie is a guy that will absolutely go out and do that. Some of the players who I kind of passed over for Jalen, pair of receivers. But as I mentioned earlier, going Drake London to number eight, I think that really kind of solves a lot of the receiver issues. And I could see them going either receiver at eight and kind of ignoring it maybe until the later rounds or kind of figure out some of the defensive stuff at 8 and then go receiver maybe in the second and third round and doubling up there but Christian Watson and Justin Ross both on the board passed over both of them and then a couple of other edge defenders Kingsley and Akbare and Drake Jackson Drake Jackson is interesting got the length got kind of the prototypical physical ability it just the production wasn't there for me and Kingsley and Akbare got the size got kind of everything you would you would want just didn't make a lot of plays <laughs> when I was watching his film Wasn't he was he has all of kind of like the the traits in isolation. I just didn't see him put it all together the way that I would have liked to. So even though the secondary weirdly is kind of a little bit of a long jam for the Falcons at this point, they've got some depth. Bringing back Isaiah Oliver in the slot, I think, is a really good move. Fourteen P's, but I look at Petrie as as a little bit of a security blanket there. Uh, Isaiah Oliver only a one year deal. And he's this is a different type of player. Jalen, like I said, plays with his hair on fire with a really erratic, um, but in a good way, type of energy that I think will be infectious for this defense. So I'm happy to get him with the second, second round pick in this draft. Moving on to the third round pick number 74. This is a guy who really impressed at the combine, um, but was one of the key pieces for a team over the last couple of years who has made uh, a lot of big splashes. And that would be Cincinnati receiver, Eric Alec Pierce, excuse me. You know, I really kind of first tuned into Alec Pierce last year when Cincinnati was playing Georgia um, in the, in the playoff. Again, he brings the size that I think the Falcons are really looking for at this position. Um, One of the key things Arthur Smith said after the year, they need to get bigger, more physical kind of on the edges at the skill position. I think that will help them in the run game, but I think it also will help them kind of create more opportunities downfield um, in some of these tighter window throws these contested balls alec pierce is uh, another very physical receiver but he also has great deep speed um he he ran a great 40 time at the combine i believe it was in the 4-4 range so you know he's he's got kind of a lot of tools here to work with a lot of his lateral mobility is not as good as like a drake london Yeah, I don't. He's not going to be your screen player. He's not going to be reverses, things like that. But I think he's a plus run blocker. And I think he shows a really nice feel for the zones underneath. Um, He does have quick hips to kind of flash his eyes back to the quarterback, get his hands up, present a nice target. So I like that combination of a, a real all around type of player in a Drake London. And then in Alec Pierce, you've got somebody who can stress a defense a little bit deeper but is more going to be your maybe over the middle against underneath uh, zone, make the catch, get upfield, take a hit, deliver a hit, whatever you need him to do, um, block in the run game. Set an example. That's the type of guy that that I think the Falcons will continue to build out their receiving core with. So I'm happy to get him here in the third round. Little quick recap. We got two receivers in the first uh, 74 picks for Atlanta, Drake, London, Alec Pierce, Nick Benito, edge defender in round two, and Jalen Petrie, who I have penciled in as kind of a slot corner there at the second round two pick. So our last day two pick in this mock draft, pick number eighty two in the third round. We're going a little close to home, about about two hours away from the uh, school in Chattanooga, getting guard Cole Strange, uh, and this is probably somebody who a lot of you have never heard of, but. I really I fell in love with him kind of watching his his tape against Kentucky. There's a play early on in that game where Chattanooga springs a huge run against a really good defense. I thought Strange blocks both his defender, the defensive uh, tackle and kind of a safety who ran up into the box Blocks both of them on an amazing leverage because the play was designed to go right behind where Strange was setting up the block. He obviously springs the running back free by blocking two guys, including a second level defender, and you know they're off to the races. So I think Strange has a lot of versatility. He's played along the offensive line at a various at a variety of spots. He does have some snapping experience. So if the Falcons decide to kick him inside, you know, and, and maybe have him compete with Hennessy and Drew Dolman in there, just see what they got. But I think the versatility that he brings on the interior, combined with the athleticism. And most importantly, his understanding of kind of angles in the run game and leverage. There are some question marks here, obviously in his his level of competition coming out of Chattanooga. He is a little bit smaller um, as an offensive tackle, so he'll need to put on, or sorry, as an offensive guard, so he'll need to put on some weight. But I just like a lot of the kind of smarts that he brings to this position because you know a lot of people think of offensive linemen as these big galoofs who just can, you know, run around and are supposed to get in the way of people. That's not the case at all. It's a very, very technical position. It's why you see guys like Jake Matthews, you know, they do excel at it. And Chris Lindstrom, you know, these guys are technicians at their craft. I think Cole Strange um, is the same way. And so here kind of, as we're getting into the dealer's choice part of the draft where it's, you know, what do you need, but also what do you value? I think Cole Strange can come in here and, and really plug in nicely to this offensive line wherever they want him. Obviously, it's not going to be at right guard or left tackle. Probably not a right tackle, but the, the key issues here for the offensive line were center and left guard. Cole Strange can play either of those positions. I think he's much more equipped to plug in from day one at left guard, but this is, I think, good value that you're getting here um, because you're addressing, again, a, a pretty clear need that we've yet to touch on. Um and I think Cole Strange offers a lot of upside especially coming out of a little smaller school but his play against a team like Kentucky really makes me think that there is room for him to grow there. All right, so now we're getting into day 3 of the draft and this is especially where you're looking at special teams value and you're looking at really specific traits that your team could use and developmental upside. This player, I don't think, has a ton of developmental upside, but he does have a very clear skill that I think the Falcons obviously need on this roster. It's something that I think Arthur Smith values greatly um, in his offensive scheme. And this is tight end Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio State. Ruckert is not going to come in and, and all of a sudden, you know, challenge Kyle Pitts for any targets on this offense. But what he is, but what he does well is... He's a damn good blocker. He will, I think, come in and be your number two tight end, but especially be maybe that strong side tight end on run plays. He can help set the edge. I would like to see him get a little bit more in control of himself. There's a lot of plays on tape uh, at Ohio State where he gets a little bit out over his skis and you see more aware defenders kind of olay him and throw him kind of down to the ground. He needs to clean that up, but that is 100% coachable. What you really can't coach is his tenacity, the way that he will just try to finish a player into the ground. Almost to the point of, you, you'd like to see him maybe pull it back a little bit so he didn't get penalties, but he, he didn't in the games that I watched. And he, I, I think it's the type of tenacity that makes him, would make him an effective run blocker in the NFL because a lot of it is effort. Yes, a lot of it is technique. Technique can be coached, effort you've got to just have innately and he does in spades. So again, I, I like the value that we're getting here in the fourth round. He comes in, there's a clear role for him on this offense. And as we've seen over the years, a lot of times your blocking tight ends can be that sneaky option out of the uh, kind of as the plays developed and they roll off and they give a little checkdown or a tight end screen or something that maybe a defense is not expecting because this is not what this player is known for. Ruckert has decent hands. Um, He's not going to be a real threat after the catch, but if you if you need him in the red zone, if you want to kind of leak him out on a on a backside type of play, I think he'll be able to have one or two catches a game, get you a first down when you need it. But most importantly, he's going to be a really good run blocker, which is what the Falcons need, especially at tight end position, given that it's pretty bare at the moment. That's the only round four pick that the Falcons have. So three picks left, one in the fifth round and two round six picks. Fifth round, you know, we've we addressed defense in the second round and with edge defender and corner outside of that, it's largely been offense, which kind of surprised me as I was going along. We still need um, a little bit of help for Grady Jarrett on the interior. And more specifically, you know, one of the reasons why I really liked the Jordan Davis kind of experiment, I guess, at, at number eight, is the comfort, I think, that Dean Pease really wants to have to go versatile with his defense is you need that nose tackle to present a clear 3-4 look to allow the guys behind them to play cleanly, to do a lot of the, the things that this defense is built to do. Tyler Davison was, I think, the Falcons' um, early solution to that, But he's I don't know if he's a true 3-4 nose tackle. They brought in Anthony Rush, who I thought played really well. But in the fifth round, they draft Noah Ellis out of Idaho. You probably have not heard of him. Well, he is a damn near 350 pound just mountain (laughs) that you can drop in at nose tackle. Um, He's very raw. There's, you know, a lot of stuff that does need to be cleaned up with his game. Hand usage all over the place. But he does have really good leverage and he's just going to be a load to move. I don't think that this is going to be a 2022 pick to to help them out on the interior, but I don't think it needs to be. I think he will give them some good depth when they want to go in certain packages or certain looks. I think he can plug in there and at least just be a big body to eat up some blockers, keep the guys behind him free as he continues to develop that skill set. You know, like I said, it he does need work. But at this point, you're in the fifth round. This is pick 151. Every single player here needs work. It's just a a different type of person that they don't have on the roster. And at this point in the draft, I'm kind of pro giving yourself as many options as possible to do as many things that you would like during the season. He presents um, a, a different chance for this defense to give different looks. I think that's valuable. So Noah Ellis is my fifth round pick here for the Falcons. And they've got two sixth round picks before closing out the draft. Hopefully no trades, um, you know, into the seventh round during the real draft. Nobody wants to be here doing that for that long. So um, let me just I'm going to bang these out at the same time. My first sixth round pick is North Carolina running back Ty Chandler. My second sixth round pick is San Diego State punter Matt Arizo, who. I'm going to start with Ariza. He's been on pretty much every mock draft that I've seen for any team at this point. Everybody seems to think he's just he's going to be there in the sixth round, seventh round. He may. But it seems like if there is one punter in this class that everybody really wants, it's Matt Ariza. I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have heard by now the nickname, the punt god. The dude can absolutely. Bang it. I mean, like he has some real, real distance as some people are concerned about uh, his lack of hang time. That's fine. That's not a concern in my eyes. And more importantly, he does have some ability as a place kicker. It's not, you know, he's left footed, so it's not going to be translatable uh, directly. You know, you you practice everything so many times with the snap, the hold, the kick that everything should is almost mechanical, like they're just off on the side practice field all day long while the rest of the team is is doing what they're doing. Practicing snap, hold, kick, snap, hold, kick, snap, hold, kick. But most kickers in the NFL are right footed, which means your holder is lining up on the right side of the long snapper. The ball is going to be put in in a certain spot. Everything works in tandem. Now, all of a sudden, if you have a left handed kicker, you're moving the holder to the other side. It just throws off. It throws one little wrinkle in a profession where they like to iron out every single wrinkle. So, I think that that could be one slight negative for what should be an otherwise a positive in his versatility as both a punter and potentially a backup place kicker. So you don't need that extra man on your roster. But even if you were just looking at him as a punter, Matt Ariza is, I think, on a lot of people's boards at the very top for this punting class. The Falcons do have a need at punter, even though Thomas Morstad was awesome last year. They You know, so far have not brought him back. And so that's a need for them. And I think Matariza, if they can get him here with their last pick in the sixth round, I think a lot of people would be okay with that and very happy, even though he is a punter. And that's not usually a position we see drafted, you know, highly, if at all, in any draft. So usually that's an undrafted guy. But Matariza, I think, is great value here given the talent level that he does have. My first sixth round pick, Ty Chandler, um, running back out of North Carolina, Ty Chandler started out at Tennessee, but his one season um, in North Carolina, you know, you'll recall after they lost um, Michael Carter and Javon Williams, who went on to, you know, Javon Williams, I actually really, really like as as a running back in the NFL, and I have high hopes for him next year. Michael Carter will we'll wait and see. But Ty Chandler stepped in in their absence and put together a thousand yard season Um, and had nearly 14.5 yards per reception. So there's a lot to like there in that one year of production, but as with any running back in the, in the sixth round, a lot of stuff that, that he does still need to clean up. I think physically there is some, some limitations. There is a ceiling, uh, on him as an athlete, you know, he's not Saquon Barkley. He's not Chris Johnson in terms of like speed that stuff. But what he does really well is he's patient. He reads his blocks. He just is a very good, um, I think, player of the game in letting all of the pieces in front of him unfold, work together, and then using that to his benefit, which is an important skill in the NFL. The game is so fast that if you are really good at reading leverage, reading where the blocks are being set up, seeing how the defense is responding to that, and then making your move, you'll, you'll have a pretty high floor. I think in this league, you'll at least kind of avoid a lot of the negative yardage plays. Some of the comments on what Chandler needs to improve is once he makes that read, once he sees how everything is unfolding, you got to hit it, you got to go. Um, and uh, there is a little bit of hesitancy, hesitancy there. You'd like to see him get through the hole quicker. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, the, the top end athletic traits aren't there. Um, necessarily to the level of uh, the guys that we would be talking about on in the first round on day two, stuff like that. But he does have a background as um, a returner, which is special teams value. I think the special teams value can be molded in other ways. Could he be, you know, an asset on some of these coverage units? Yes. But I think that there is the 1000 yard season in his kind of one true year as a starter uh, at North Carolina gives me hope that there is more untapped potential here. So I like him as a as a draft, put him in in your rotation, let him learn, let him develop, see if he offers you anything on special teams. But at this point, I'm all for kind of taking flyers on some of these positions where the value of hitting on one of them is, is great because we, you know, running back is so, so much an innate feel position that you can sometimes see a guy come from the sixth round and really burst onto the scene. You see undrafted, Austin Eckler, great example, undrafted guy is now one of the top running backs in the league so there are certain positions like receiver like running back that I'm just going to be more willing to take a flyer on later in drafts and that's the case here so that is my Falcons mock draft for 2022 I only did one and I promise you guys I'm not lying here just did one mock draft this is how it came out for what it's worth and it's not worth anything PFF gave me an A uh, if you guys all think I'm full of shit uh, then, then then that's your prerogative as well. I'm not going to put too much stock into either opinion, either this uh, computer simulated or, or graded um, draft grade that they gave me or what you think. <laughs> I care a little bit more about what you guys think. So that is my dra- mock draft for this year. Uh, let's recap real quickly. Number eight overall, Drake London. Number 43 overall, edge defender, Nick Benito. Number 58 overall, cornerback Jalen Petrie. Number 74 overall, wide receiver Alec Pierce. Number 82 overall, guard Cole Strange. Number 114, tight end Jeremy Ruckert. Number 151, a defensive interior player who is the size of a damn bowl, Noah Ellis. Pick number 190, running back Ty Chandler. And bringing it all home, the punt god himself, Matt Ariza, with pick number 213. So that is my mock draft for the Falcons this year. Um, I'm really excited to see how everything unfolds because the Falcons can go any single way that they want. Now, one thing that I think a lot of people will note, there's no quarterbacks in this mock draft, and that wasn't necessarily by design. I do still have my own personal reservations as to whether or not the Falcons should or will. Take a quarterback at number eight or, you know, I've I've even seen some people say they may trade up. I I just think a lot of this is what we do every single year where quarterbacks are so valuable in this league that we automatically just kind of slide whatever quarterbacks in the draft class way up. The closer we get to the draft, the closer we get to all of this stuff. And the more the rumor mill starts swinging, the quarterbacks inevitably just creep up closer and closer to the top of the draft. I don't think the value is there for this class. But again, I don't think the Falcons are really in this for 2022. I think they're in this for 2023, 2024. And you can make the argument, certainly, that if the Falcons are not really trying to necessarily win in 2022, then wouldn't that be the right time to maybe take a, a younger quarterback, one who may need to develop and actually let them develop? Um, you know, may, whether that be kind of fighting for on-field reps with Marcus Mariota getting him that in-game experience while the expectations remain low? uh, Sure. You know, I think you could make a compelling argument for that. I think you could say Malik Willis's skill sets probably are closer in line to what Marcus Mariota is as a player than Matt Ryan. And wouldn't that therefore be a better mentor setup? Sure. You know, Kenny Pickett, I think that there are a lot of people that like him as, you know, maybe outside of the question marks that he has, the hand size, all of uh, all of that stuff, which is, you know, meaningful, I think, in terms of an outdoor stadium. He would be a domed t- team here, but like you're going to have to win games in cold weather environments, in outdoor rainy environments, things like that. So the Kenny Pickett questions are legitimate, even though I think a lot of people think he's pretty well-rounded as a, as a player otherwise. And Desmond Ritter uh, is, is kind of the wild card of the group. I think there are going to be some teams that really like him, while maybe others don't as much. But yeah, an argument can be made that any of those guys, you, you draft them and then you develop them for a year before you really kind of hit the ground running. But I kind of go the other way. And unless you're sold on a quarterback, then kind of what's the point? You're either really in on them or you're not. And you shouldn't be in between because if you're in between, I'd rather be kind of in a situation where I'm paying Marcus Mariota to come here and, and just do what he needs to do for a year or two, maybe try to revive his career, then being a Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts to a situation where you drafted a guy and because you drafted a a rookie at the quarterback position relatively high, now all of a sudden he gets the expectations of being the face of the franchise for better and for worse. And the fan base is now going to start to look at him as though, all right, can he be the future? Is he not the future? It just changes the expectations of the team and And then you're kind of on the hook for this guy for a, a couple of years, because once you draft a player at the quarterback position, very rarely do you see a team do what the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen and Kyler Murray and turn right back around and draft another guy at the high position. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that happened, including Cliff Kingsbury getting in there as head coach. And you could argue that it was absolutely the right decision for the Cardinals to make, but they're the exception. A lot of teams don't admit the mistake because when you do as a GM, Now, all of a sudden, people are really pointing the finger at you saying, Do you know what you're doing? And GMs don't want to be in that situation very often. So, what you see is you draft a quarterback who you may or may not like, you hope they develop, and now you're kind of in this weird quarterback limbo for three years. I would rather know that you're not set at the position and be ready to strike when a guy that you do really love comes along because you don't already have some type of will they, won't they plan in place. At the game's most important position, keep it open and then get what you want, what you know you want when it comes along. And that's why I'm not necessarily sold on the Falcons going quarterback in this draft. If that's the case, I'm fine with rocking and rolling with Marcus Mariota as the starting quarterback. If you want to bring in, you know, somebody else to, to compete behind him, whether that be in the draft or, you know, another free agent. Um, we'll see how kind of the draft may shake things out. Somebody may become available. What have you, they may take an undrafted guy and again, kind of go with just my starter. And we got two guys below them who are competing and developing and we'll see what we have. But I did look for a quarterback maybe in round three, round four. I just didn't see any that I liked. And that's kind of the way that this draft is going to go. You're, once those first guys kind of go off the board. All of a sudden, the question marks become really, really big with a lot of these quarterbacks on kind of day two and day three. Sure, they may like one. I I think the Western Kentucky kid uh, is interesting as maybe a developmental prospect, but I don't know, man. I just I kind of like the Falcons to just keep adding the players that can make impacts in their own specific ways wherever they are on the field, because they the Falcons need as many guys who are part of the solution and not part of the problem as many of those guys as they can get, regardless of where it is on the field. Um, And I, I just think that taking a quarterback, yes, you, you can develop. Yes. That does. That is an eye towards the future type of move. But I am, I'm a bigger fan of the Falcons figuring out a lot of the stuff around the quarterback position first, and then really knowing what type of quarterback they need to bring in here to make it all work. So that's kind of why I stayed away from quarterback. It wasn't intentional. It just was that I that's not where I would go at number eight. And then by the time that I started kind of, all right, well, let's see what else is available. I didn't like any of the options. Um, So the draft unfolded in that way for me. That's not to say that that's the way the draft will actually unfold. That's just how this one uh, came out in the one mock draft that I that I ran. So that's all I got for you guys today. Uh, A little bit of a shorter episode. Sorry, you know, no guests, no nothing this week, but we are in that little bit of a dead period between the combine, the start of free agency and the draft. I'm I've already been in contact with a few uh, draft experts, some national, some local who I respect, Uh, plan on having them come on over the next month to really break down what the Falcons needs are, what they're hearing around the league, stuff like that. So stay tuned. It'll get better from here. But this was my chance of I think mock drafts are mostly stupid. But when you go through the exercise of, of doing it yourself, you understand that, yes, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit tricky, and especially when you get into that day three and you don't really know any of the names. It made me watch um, a little bit of film on some guys who I maybe had not heard of before. And I think that's valuable. Before you start just talking about these players, you need to at least lay eyes on them and not parrot what you read or what you hear from other people. And that's something that I really try to do. Now, granted, I'm only watching two or three uh, YouTube videos uh, videos of, of these guys from two or three games that they've played in their whole career. All these NFL scouting departments have documents and documents and portfolios on every single one of these players. So they are going to be much more equipped to make these selections when they pick somebody that you've never heard of before. Pop on the tape, make a, make a decision for yourself. But I generally tend to give the benefit of the doubt to these NFL teams because they have done so, so much work. And I really like Anthony Robinson, the, uh, Falcons director of college scouting over there. I think he does a great job. So I tend to trust him a little bit more, but that was my attempt at, at putting together a draft. Let me know how I did. You, you can tweet at me. I'm not going to be that, uh, that fragile about it. Um, so if you think Jordan Davis is a better pick at eight, let me know if you think Drake London is, is the right way to go. Or if you think I'm an absolute moron, would love to hear from you guys. And we will be back next week. Um, um, Trying to get Ovi back on, on the show, working out with his schedule. I would love to have him come on and, and share his draft story uh, and get and get his insight into what this time can really be like for a player going through this process. I have talked to a lot of rookies in the past. It is a really, really trying time for them to then go right into the league. So hopefully we're gonna have all of that coming up over a jam-packed month of podcasting for you guys. So let everybody know where they can find it. Uh, Spotify, Apple Stitcher. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate, review, like, and subscribe, share the word. This episode was presented by Bet Online. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe.